Hey guys, I am glad you found this video today. I'm starting a series called Leaving Scarcity, the play on words, that scarcity is a place that we all live and we don't have to live there. So check it out. It's about way more than giving your finances. It's about being generous the way we were created to be. So we're glad you found this. If you need anything, text the number at the bottom of the screen and we hope to see you soon. All right, so man, before they get here, um, which which type of tape do you want to do this time? So this time I want it to be like the cruel, like awful evil boss okay. and the hyper optimistic, almost, you know, young, the blind, you know, like couldn't see it any other way. Okay, okay. Hey guys. That sounds good. Hey, come on in. Hey, come what's in. up guys? Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Yeah, yeah. Hey, can I get you guys a water or? Uh, yeah, yeah. That'd be yeah. great. That'd be Thanks. Awesome. And make you a pen, bro. I would love a pen. Thank you so much. All right, so you guys have had a minute, a week, yeah. to read through some of this. Yeah. Um, this pivotal scene for the movie Scare City, mm -hmm. where you have decided that it's time to move on, to leave, to go to something better. So the kind of, kind of the, obviously the vision of it is corporate America. Yep. But you're basically representing a city of greed and, and lust and hate and self-indulgence. And so gotcha. what I want to see is someone who has genuine excitement and optimism, almost naivety about how, like, I just I know it's going to be great where you're headed. Cool. And then I want you to be cruel. Like you are a very um, uh, cold hearted, cruel boss. Just okay. disgusted. All right? Just disgusted, just disgusted, can't imagine anyone not, you know, Wanting living under the here. shade yeah. of your wings, okay? Cool. Like, oh, okay, so, uh, go ahead and take it from the top. Cool. You good? Yep. Cool. Hey, Meredith, uh, do you have a minute? I've got some, uh, some news. Sure, have a seat. Uh, what's going on? How's your family? Well, uh, they're okay, I guess. Um, actually, I, I don't know, they're not, they're not great. Oh no, what's going on? Yeah, well, that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about. I'm pretty sure it's time for me to take my family somewhere else. What do you mean, like on a vacation that's different? Well, no, um, I mean like move them to a different place, probably a different state. Wow, uh, that's big. What makes you think that? Yeah, yeah, it is big and I, don't exactly know how to say it, I just know that we need a change. Okay, yeah, I get that, uh, but what do you think needs to change so much? You know, it can't get much better. I mean, to put it simply, everything. Is this a money thing? Uh, kind of, but not in the way that you think. Do you need a raise? No, no, I, I think I just need to see life differently. And of course, that includes money. I know how that can be, Michael, but look, I need you here. You make my world work here. 
I'll give you pretty much whatever you ask for money-wise and I mean that can fix a lot of this if you get paid more and have I don't know maybe better hours you might feel different thank you but it's so much bigger than that I'm not interested in making more money but actually making more I don't know life happen yeah and money makes it happen <sighs> yeah I I think I'm really seeing it different Michael, okay, I, how can it be seen differently? You get your money, you get what you want and take care of yours and isn't that all that really matters? I'm starting to think no. I'm starting to actually consider that maybe instead of constantly chasing the dream and living in a state of fear and survival, there has to be a better way. Well, yeah, that's all good, but. I've been told my whole life that it's better to give than to receive, and honestly, I wouldn't know if that's true, because I pretty much just seek my own needs and take. I'm not thinking it's the way things should be. I really want to try being more than just a taker. Yeah, well, okay, I mean, okay. Well, listen, if you don't stay, I cannot promise that you'll ever be able to come back. Make sure you don't leave without considering how much better your life is here. Living here in scarcity is all about getting what we want. Yeah, I'm ready for a new city. And I'm gonna take the- Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. Um, if that's all, I've gotta head to another meeting. I feel really sorry for you, Michael. Most people would kill to have what you have here, and in fact, some do. So, um, have a nice life. Good morning. Um, like many stories, they imitate life. Art often imitates life. And life often imitates art. And sometimes we get caught right in the middle of that and a story that you watch play out somewhere in the distance becomes your reality. I think for some of us, we all experienced what I would say is very real scarcity at the beginning of the pandemic. If you remember the whole moment we all had, we every, every one of us had a moment where we went to the grocery store and there were no paper products on the shelves. And we experienced scarcity. We experienced a moment where we thought, I better get toilet paper or else. <laughs> Something needs to happen, I need to get, get that. And, and actually, in retrospect, they found that what was happening with scarcity is actually an, ins in, an insight into a human experience that we all have that I believe has started from the very beginning. Uh, a man named Dr. Ronald Gonzalez, an assistant professor of conversion economics and sustainability in the Department of Forest Biomaterials at NC State's College of Natural Resources said this about the paper product scarcity event. Consumers are experiencing nervousness, and they are buying more than they should, depleting inventories of an industry that is very, very rich, Gonzalez said. It will take a couple of weeks for people to understand they have enough, and the inventories will increase on the shelves. Goes on to say this in this article that Gonzalez was a part of, that the problem, like the virus that spawned it, is it's global. 
In Australia, a cafe began accepting rolls of teepee as payment. A cup of coffee will run you three rolls. In Hong Kong, armed crooks held up a supermarket. All they took was 600 rolls of the soft stuff. A pet store in Dornburg, Germany last week set up an outdoor toilet paper drive through in a parking lot when the owner was able to obtain a massive shipment. Here's what the leading theories were about the scarcity in paper products at the beginning of the pandemic. Number one, we're buying too much toilet paper because we're panicked that there won't be any. So we're buying it because we don't think there will be any, so we're buying more. The second theory was this, we're actually using it more than usual. Why? Because we're all at home. We're all at home and we're packed inside and so we're using more toilet paper products at home than we would at work. And the third theory is, is it's a combination of the two. A combination of both of these ideas. That we're afraid we're not gonna have any so we're buying more and we are buying more because we're using more. All that to say that what they found is that it was an illusion, that there actually was more than enough toilet paper. When something is scarce, it's deficient in quantity or number compared to the demand. That's what scarce means, deficient. It's, it's not plentiful or abundant. Scarcity is the want of provisions for the support of life. That's why we get into that moment. We get into that, that spot where we freak out and we go, I need this. And there's something inside of us that says, if I don't have this, then something about my life is gonna go in the wrong direction. And if I feel that, it's one thing, but if you feel that and you feel that and we all go into a state of feeling like we better get what we need to support our lives as opposed to some other method, then we all just take from the resources that are at hand and eventually there's not enough left and then we stay in a state of scarcity. Now there's nothing. We've taken it all and we don't have any. So now we spiral into more panic. What happened in the paper product pandemic beginning is it revealed a common theme and condition of the heart. This is a common thing that we all experience and I believe was started and manifested from the beginning of human existence and that is this, take or die. Take or die. Now when I say it that way, you might go, that's not me, Joel. I don't take or die. Are you sure? Are you sure that your life is not marked in some way by just getting what you need to get? Are you sure that every day you're not motivated by going out and getting what you think you need to get for you before anything else? What's actually driving you? The, the lie that we kind of are perpetuated by in this condition in our heart is to take more because there's not enough. There's not enough, so we need to get more. We better get what we need so we get it, and we get it at the expense of everyone around us. You see, Adam and Eve, they did exhibit this condition and thereby, I believe, founded what I'm calling scarcity. When there was more than plenty, they took. And this is a choice that every person has to make. Adam and Eve were told a lie. They were told a lie. And you've, you've read the story of Genesis. If you haven't read it, you should read it. But they were told a lie. 
They were given more than they could possibly need. They were given land and vegetation and animals and each other. And it wasn't just that it was all there. It's that it was plentiful. There was more than enough to eat. There was more than enough space. There was more than enough to enjoy. They had everything they could ever need and they were commissioned to take it and let it multiply and make it multiply, which was a promise that you can actually be in control of adding to the more and more of this abundance. The name Eden, it means a watered garden. And so the idea is that Adam and Eve were placed into a space that had a continual supply of God's goodness and provision. The Garden of Eden represents you and me having everything we actually need in life. And of course, in chapter three, a liar shows up and says to Eve, oh, you don't have enough. You see, he's telling you you can't eat this because he knows that if you do, then you'll be like him and you'll be wise. And you may not hear that as, as him saying that it's, uh, there's not enough, but that's what he's saying. The enemy said to Eve, oh, he's trying to hold something from you. He's trying to take something from you. You see, there's more for you to experience. And the reason that your God didn't let you have this fruit, even though you can have all these other fruits and all this other splendid abundance, you can have it all. He's trying to hold something from you. And you should be afraid. He knows that if you take this, that you'll be like him. And the lie was they were already like him. And they thought they needed to be more. And so they stepped into a trap. One way you can read this story is God is holding something from you. Have you ever felt that in your life? God is holding something from me. Have you ever woke up? Have you ever not got the job? Have you ever been in that moment and thought, God is holding something from me? Have you ever been told no? Have you ever felt like you're alone? and God is holding something from me. And believed that the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who is named a provider in the Old Testament is the one that's holding something from you. You need to be your own God was another lie that they were told. You need to be your own God. Imagine being in the garden, having a God that supplies everything you need and everything you could possibly ever, ever need in the future. And imagine having a God who provided all that, who not only loves you, but he walks with you. He spends time with you. He's a good God. He's full of love and compassion, full of, of uh, relational dynamics where he wants to know you and talk with you and share with you. And can you imagine being told when you already have experienced that walk with God and you've already been given that, that bountiful amount of whatever Eden was in reality, and then hearing, you know, <laughs> you need to just get rid of him. Yeah, I know you don't know any other experience but being in the Garden of Eden and having all of this splendor, but you just need to, you need to turn your back on him. He's holding something from you, and you actually should take his job. You should be your own God. And you need to get more. Get more. You see, what happened in the Garden of Eden is scarcity. Scarcity begins 
when we believe that God cannot be trusted. Scarcity begins when we believe that God cannot be trusted. And someone or something comes along and tells us, you shouldn't trust God. You should just be your own God and do whatever you can. One of the things about Eden that's so great and what is actually biblically God's plan for the blessing of our lives. God's original design with Eden is to bless. Everything that he does after the fall is to get us back into experiencing the blessing of Eden. One of the great things about Eden is that it had all of the provision and we know this when we look and watch the Animal Channel or watch you know, some type of uh, documentary about the way the world works. We know it's true that all of these pieces and the way that Eden was, is it worked together in harmony. That the way that the water worked with the sky, worked with the lands, worked with the animals, worked with the people, worked with the day, worked with the night, that it didn't just all have its own pocket and cylinder. It all is woven together in some type of sovereign harmony. And to see all of that is not just to, to experience one piece of a meal, but to have a whole grand meal with multiple courses where each taste and flavor overlaps and to go, this is as good as it gets and then have someone come along and say, that's nothing. You need more. What the people in Eden were experiencing was God's goodness, God's provision, and the harmony of the way God made life. This is why you and I like music. Because when we listen to music, we're not just listening to one thing. We're listening to the drums, and then we're listening to the bass, and then we're listening to the melody, and then we're listening to the strings, and we're hearing it all come together. And something about that music takes us somewhere that we didn't know we could go. This is where God intended for all humans to be when he created the Garden of Eden. And so ultimately, we know that what God has provided is enough, that what God has provided is more than enough. And think about it, is your world similar? And you're just not looking at it, and you're just not seeing it. Maybe it's not Eden, but how much is there that you're being told is not there? Because at some point, you chose not to trust God. The truth is, Trust God, and he will provide. The lie is, maybe there's not enough, and I need to take matters into my own hand. We live in scarcity when we perpetuate this lie. You see, the truth is, is that once this lie was bought, then it was caught by the rest of us. And we go and we live in a world where our heads and our eyes and our focus is taken off of all that is good and we're living in a lie. And so it's sad that some people in the world today actually experience the scarcity that was originally a lie. And that's because we, instead of believing in the bounty, believed in the lie and started to steal and take and kill and destroy. And there are some people in some parts of the world that have nothing because of this perpetuated lie. I believe in all of my heart that God's original design for humanity was that there's enough. 
There's more than enough. And that we are not supposed to just sit on it. We're supposed to be conduits of bringing about what is good into the world and sharing God's creation with the world around us. But that's not what happens. There are people who have nothing. That's because the human creatures we are, we have perpetuated this idea there's not enough and I need to take mine and I need to get mine. And that is, a, in a way, a systemic movement of a lie throughout all humanity. Take, take, or die. This is fear-based. This is control-based. This is survival-based. This leads to envy, anger, and violence in a world where it seems like there's never enough. Now, for most of us, we've never actually maybe experienced scarcity. Maybe we've had times in our life where we couldn't afford groceries, or maybe we've had times where we lost a job and the bank account was empty, or maybe we're in college and in fact you are in scarcity. But for the most part, arguably, there's abundance where we are. So the question has to be, what do you see? What do you see? Because if you don't see it, then you know why. It's a lie that's been perpetuated from the beginning of time. Not just to see what we need and what is required for daily living, but to see the simple goodness that God has created in this world and put before your very eyes. To see the people that you're sitting next to. To see the health that you do have. And to see it through the eyes of the truth. What this does when we see this lie is it creates a culture of jousting and brawling and striving to get what we need to survive before others do and to do it at all costs. And what ends up happening is the party that God intended for all of us to experience, it turns into a battleground. The great analogy of, of God's generosity is displayed really, really well in the Bible project uh, that we talked about last week. There's a video in there about generosity and it opens up with an analogy of a person who has a party. And he has a party at his house and he invites a lot of people over and there's more than enough food. And at some point someone looks at the bowl of Cheetos, and this is me elaborating on the video, they don't say Cheetos in the Bible Project video, but they see that maybe the Cheetos are half gone and because they're half gone, they take the Cheetos and then they grab the Cheetos and then they start telling everybody all the food is gone. And so then people are like, well, I want some food, and I want some food, and I want some food. And instead of everyone enjoying what the party, what the host has offered to everyone, they start fighting with one another. They start stealing. One person takes all the beef, and one person takes all the soup, and one person takes all, and then we just have this battle. And the host is going, you guys don't have to do this. There's, I, I, I have more. Well, it's all gone. The Cheetos are gone. And then, this is my mind. I already departed from the video. The video is just a little bit. But then here's where the party, this is where it goes. Then the, then the host goes, come here. Come and look. And he opens up the pantry. And there's a garage full of everything that they've just had a little bit of. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's what God has done for us. And we have not seen it. And so what happens in the garden 
is what God took from the chaotic waters and made into the cosmos and put into order, it starts to disintegrate back into disorder. It starts to fall apart. And the spirit starts to become part of the human experience. I'm going to do things my way and I'm gonna take care of myself instead of receive what God has given me. I'm going to do the opposite of my original design. And by taking, Adam and Eve started a culture and a world of scarcity, of rage, of hate, of taking, of stealing. And the very beginning of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created. This is Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. And he took the chaotic waters, the emptiness, with nothing, no bounty, no humans, no goodness, and he created from that all that we could need and more, and he put it into order, and then he put us in the middle of that, and he said, now it's your turn to take this goodness and to share it. And you would think that the God that created it and handed it to us also said there'll be enough for you and enough for you to go and share. It's a mindset. But here's the problem. We as humans cannot merely become generous. We're not just going to become generous. You see, what happens in, in the, the Old Testament story is this scarcity mindset of a battleground, it manifests immediately in the worst possible scenario. Cain and Abel, they bring their worship, they bring their bounty before God, and for some reason, what Cain brings is not acceptable to God. And what Abel has is acceptable. And so Cain actually gets mad at God because God has not seen his goodness and he sees his brother's goodness, so Cain becomes bitter. And what does he do? He kills his brother. Now why does he kill his brother? Probably to get more. Probably to get what Abel had. Because he's going, oh, God looks at you with favor and you have this and here's what I have and it's not right and I'm gonna bring this to you and, and you're gonna turn away from me and probably because there is actual um, weight and meaning behind what we do and what we offer to God that we ought to get it right before we bring it before him. Cain probably didn't bring the right thing to God. And so there's a lot of work for Cain to do. Abel brings the right thing to God, and God says, good job, Abel. And Cain goes, God, you like him better than me, and you like what he has better than what I have? I'm killing him. That is scarcity. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna get. And so this is the spirit of man. All throughout creation, till Christ, we have really no hope in being the kind of people to see the truth. The kind of people that actually see that there's enough. The kind of people that actually live in peace and harmony and go, you know, I actually need to see life completely different. I need a different window of life. I'm, I'm a taker. I'm living in this space where I have to fill out my own needs before I actually believe that I exist to be a conduit of goodness in the world. And we're not talking about getting basic needs met. We're talking about the spirit of hatred and stealing and taking. 
So we need a lot more than just to have the pastor say, you, you need to start being generous. We need more. So God, in his generous state, the God of generosity, he gives again in the person of Jesus. And Jesus comes to earth, and he knows that we have a condition in our heart that is marked by scarcity, it's marked by taking, it's marked by being selfish, and Jesus walks around, and he says things like, look at the birds. Look at them. Solomon, in all of his splendor, wasn't dressed like these, and you don't think that I have provided enough for you? When he's talking about that, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He said, this is, this is the way that the world actually was, you guys. I created it this way. I gave you more than enough. Look at the birds. Look at them. There's more than enough for them. There's more than enough for you. And the only reason that you don't live in that is that you don't see that because you're living in scare city. Jesus personifies the Genesis narrative all over again with the feeding of 5,000 people. If you know this story, the people are following Jesus. So if, if there was ever anything that went viral, like some of these videos we're all watching right now, which is terrifying and awful, but they go viral and you've seen them and then you say to someone, did you see that? And everybody's watched this video. And, and you go, that's, that's gone viral. Well, you might also see that there's like some of these great stories on the internet where someone does something great. I watched um, a video of a man who had no legs and these two boys were coming home from school and they passed the man with no legs. His bicycle chain had fallen off of his bike and they passed the man with no legs and then they returned back and all this got caught on video. And the two boys actually helped the guy get his bike back together and put him back up on his bicycle so that he could pedal away with his one hand. And then the two boys put their arms around each other and walked away. And they did something that was great and it was wonderful and it's gone viral. And that's what was happening with Jesus. Jesus was doing miracles. He was teaching people that the way that Rome led and the way that their kind of wayward leadership had gone was not the way that it was supposed to be. So he walks around and he goes, I know you're all afraid because Rome comes and takes from you and they've taken your money and a lot of the people, when Jesus was first born, uh, they didn't give taxes to Caesar, so they were crucified. Thousands of them were crucified when Jesus was born. And they're living in that world. They're living going, if we don't like do what we're supposed to do, if we don't give and we don't feel this kind of hatred and this, this, this bondage, man, we're in trouble. And Jesus comes around and he goes, look at the birds. You guys are, you're all living in a world that's being dictated and led by a lie. These brutal leaders, these are not God. I am God. Look at the birds. And so they, they, they hear this message, what a refreshing gift to think that maybe the world could exist in harmony, to think that maybe the world could be plentiful, to think that maybe you don't have to live in fear. And this is the message that Jesus is giving. Follow God. It's better. Turn away, man. You don't want that anymore. You don't want that guiding your life. Look at the birds. You want provision? Look at them. Would you look at those birds? I can't help it. I just got caught in this. Would you look at that? Look at those birds. Look at them. Jesus says, look at the birds. They all follow him. 
Because this is so refreshing and mesmerizing. At one point, when, when they followed him, they are away from provision. They leave their homes. They're a couple days away from where they live, and they're hungry. And there's thousands of them, probably 10,000, maybe 12,000. Because you've all heard in church that the counting of five was just the men, not including the women and the children. So there's thousands of, I mean, think about on the side of a mountain, right? If we were all at Hoover Dam and and we were there together just standing on this one bank and there was 10,000 of us. That, that, that's what was going on. And Jesus is talking to them. You know, look at the birds and the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying all these wonderful things. And people are eating that instead of eating real food. And then the disciples come along, come along and they go, you know, this is all great, but these people need some food. They're hungry. We need to send them home. And what does Jesus say? He says, you, you give them something to eat. Do you ever, ever put that together? This is Genesis. God created, in the beginning God created, he's a creator and he made you to be like him. So he comes down and he shows and he says, you do what I can do. I created, I made it, you make it, you give it. You become a conduit of sustenance. You give them something to eat. And so they find some food and Jesus blesses it and then they start to give the food out and everybody eats. And in one of those storylines, it says that everyone was eat, eats until they were full. They ate until they were full. What's the lie? There's not enough. What's the truth? When Jesus there, there's always enough. Wait a minute, Joel, what about people in prison? What about what's happening right now? What about that stuff? That's not the way it should be. That's because we perpetuate the lie. That means there's work to be done. That means Jesus is going, you feed them. Are there people that don't have food? Absolutely. Who's supposed to feed them? God, drop it, please. No, you feed them. So they feed them. And what happens? Everyone's full. Now that's amazing. My dad's sitting here. I can't help thinking of when I was like 14 years old. We used to go to Bob Evans all the time. And I was just like eating us out of house and home. And every time we went to Bob Evans, I got two meals. I want to thank you, dad, for not, for letting me. I don't know why you let me do that. But I'll tell you what, I felt like I needed it. At the time, I was like, can I get another whole thing of pancakes and bacon and, and, and? And you were like, sure. And guess what? I was full. <laughs> There's one, it's one thing to get what you, ba- you basically need. It's another thing to live in Eden. How could we miss the truth? There's enough. There really is. There really is. Oh, you might have to use your brain. You might have to figure it out. You might have to help and and learn to bake things and cook things or do whatever, and it's beyond food. You might have to figure out how to bring somebody what they need in a mental health perspective or physical health or in any way, you might have to figure it out. But God is certainly going, look at the birds. There's enough. You feed them. And 
And what we see at the end of the feeding of 5,000 is there were 12 baskets left over. Isn't that special? 12 baskets left over. Three fish, two loaves of bread, 10,000 people eat, 12 baskets left over. Who's missing the truth? And the picture of all those people eating is a picture of what Jesus is about to do in resurrection. As he dies and gives himself, and then he raises to new life to show you that he has more than you could have ever imagined. And what the resurrection gives you and me is a sense of what God wants to do for the entire world, which is bring us all back into, through his people, and eventually in his returned kingdom, generosity. The resurrection is generous. You, you won't be able to figure out and see the truth until you give your heart to Christ. You will believe the lie. You will live in scarcity. You will take, you will steal, you will hate, you will joust and brawl, and you will live a lie until you give your heart to Christ, who is the author of your faith, who shows you a new way of thinking, a new way of living your life, and ultimately promises you that even when you think it's all over, he will rebuild and re. Uh, bore you into the world. You will be born again. You will resurrect. So will the world and he will show us. This is what life is like under my kingdom. So we can stay in scarcity. We can stay there. All of us, we can perpetuate the lie. We can keep on believing. We can we cannot take the inventory and not actually listen to what is moving and pushing our hearts around this world. And we can continue to just live as people who believe in lies and take, or we can leave scarcity. And what I see is that living in scarcity, just like the paper products, this is how we live. We live in fear. We live like we need to get all of our ducks perfectly in a row and we gotta have everything and we better do that first and we don't see the abundance that God has provided and we don't offer it to the world and we don't have it in our hands. And the truth is, is, is that we don't have to live here anymore. We, we don't have to live in scarcity. We don't have to believe that there's not enough. We can actually see the world the way that God wants us to and become conduits of generosity. In all ways and shapes, we can actually look like God. We can actually look like Jesus. We can actually become generous beings. We can do that. We can start to move towards that. You put your faith in Christ, and there's no telling what can happen. Actually, what's most scarce is generosity. Something that we need to pursue, maybe not in this whole city, but maybe this church. What would it look like if an entire church, 2,000 people, started to see the world in its reality? That there's enough. That we're supposed to share. That it really is better to give than to receive. So what is the antidote to scarcity? It's trust. Trust. Trust that God has provided Trust that there's enough. 
It's obedience. Take steps every single day. Now you may hear me and you go, Joel, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm pretty generous. I give a little money. I don't, I don't feel afraid all the time. Maybe you're not a lethal, cold-blooded killer and you're not a greedy, mungry, a money-hungry person. Maybe that's not you. But here's what I want you to do while we kind of close this down and think about leaving scarcity and moving to a different place of existence. You might be marked less by giving than taking. You might not be greedy in the sense that you know or that you would say is awful, but is your life marked more by giving or by taking? This is something that you need to ask. You see, there's, <laughs> there's a reality that when we grow up and we become mature people, and that can only happen as we follow Christ, that we move away from childish ways. And in the very sense of being a child, children take. And those who grow up and those who mature become people who give. And so it's time to move in that way. And if you don't think that there's room for growth, if you don't think there's a difference between doing something poorly and doing something well. Like maybe you're doing giving okay and that's fine, but maybe you could do way better. And if you don't think there's a difference between being someone who barely gives and someone who lives generously, then there's no meaning in life. There's no meaning, there's no purpose. What are we here for? We're all fine, there's nothing else to do, nothing really matters. You do you, I'll do me. Here's the reality is you need to look at your life today and it needs to improve. And you have to look at what your heart is for giving and the way that the world is and go, God, will you help me see my world the way that you see my world? and take my hand and I wanna move, I wanna improve and become more generous. And maybe it's with your tithing. Oh, but tithing is not the target for generosity. It is just one piece of the puzzle. Giving financially is an indicator of where your heart is. It's a great test, but it's not the target. The target of generosity is a life that exists to be a watering garden for the world. What am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my resources? How do I use my words? Does my spouse feel like I'm generous? Does my workplace feel like I just live to take and feed off of it, or do I give life to my workplace? Generosity is a completely different mindset. Things can be better. You can do better. You and I can do a lot better. So what you have to do is you have to do something that the scriptures talk about often. They talk about looking at your heart, inspecting your heart. You need to do a heart inspection, a heart inspection about your generosity. I want everyone to do this. While we're talking about it now and we're gonna sing this last song, I want you to do a heart inspection. Now the idea of inspection is that you believe there could be a problem and you're interested in finding it. You're interested in finding the problem. Now, I don't know what your generosity problem is. Maybe it's you don't trust the church. Maybe it's you don't believe there's enough. 
Maybe it's you feel afraid. I don't know what it is, but an inspection, if you've ever bought a home, you know what an inspection is. And you need to have the disposition towards a home inspection, that, or towards your heart inspection that you would towards a home inspection. Inspector, go in there and I wanna know what's wrong. I wanna know, I want you to tell me because I'm not buying unless we fix it or we know the remedy. So you need to go to God with your heart and say, God, I know there might be problems. I know I'm not generous enough. I know that I'm afraid. I know that I'm living in scarcity. Would you please show me where I'm getting tripped up? Why I'm lacking generosity? You want to know so that you can fix it with God and become a generous being and potentially build a generous city. I mean, what we're looking at, I mean, just the irony of taking. You see Putin taking, he's taking, he's attacking. It's hatred, it's evil. He is stealing, he's moving into ground. It is the devil in our midst just to take more believing that you have to have more, conquering the world. That is the enemy. You and I, we have to be part of making something different. And what Zelensky, if I'm saying his name right, is doing the president of the Ukraine, what he's doing is showing generosity. He's actually exhibiting it. He's moving in. He's stepping in, he's adding himself, he's giving himself, he's giving leadership. He's not just telling people what to do, he's doing it. He's laying down his life. It's the possibility of building a better city. How different would every aspect of our life look if we believed the truth instead of a lie? Let's stand up, I wanna read a passage of scripture and then have these guys come out and sing this final song. And the whole time that you're in here, I want you to do a heart inspection while we're singing this song. This is a letter from Paul to Timothy. Paul, who was starting churches, and Timothy, who was one of his um, followers, one of, one of the pastors that he was mentoring to bring God's goodness into the world that he was leading. He said this because there were people who were really struggling with their finances and they were becoming greedy and they were actually putting their hope in their money and not putting hope in God. And there's a lot in here, but where it lands is where I wanna land. So I want you to think of this as a letter, like you know, you get a letter in the mail, you get an invitation to something, you get someone sends you a letter. I have a friend every year who writes a, a family Christmas letter, and it's several pages, and it tells the story of what's going on in their house and their home, and so we kind of read that every year. This is a letter. This is Paul saying to Timothy that you need to make sure that the people around you are seeing the truth about who God is as it pertains to your wealth. So I'll read this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
not hyperbolic language. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This passage is not just about what you invest in the future. It's about changing the way life is now. It's about living the life that God has called us to live. So let's take a moment and let's pray. And we're gonna sing this last song together. Father, thank you so much for how generous you are, how much you've offered to us, how much you've given to us, and how we have been called and designed to be conduits of that generosity. Father, help us to understand right now if we're living a lie, if we're believing a lie, if we've bought in to this, this, this fallacy that there's not enough and that we have to do it our way and take matters into our own hands, God, please, please help us, Father, to be transformed. Help the resurrection of Jesus do what only he can do in our hearts as it starts to transform us, the gift of the Holy Spirit that can lead us back to the pathway of being image bearers, the way that you called us to be, to be generous, to give, to share. God, I pray that even today that we'd see this in our families, just something new, something, something different, a different way to, to handle one particular scenario or another. Father, we pray that your spirit of generosity would infiltrate this room and these people. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this song together. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We want to connect with you, so go ahead and text that number on your screen uh, and somebody will reach out. We want to get to know you and your story a little bit more. Uh, we hope you have a great week and we will see you next time.